Okay, let's dive into the word of God here. If you would turn with me or look up at the screen, uh, Mark 3, 22 through 30 is going to be our text today. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by, Hilzeb- by Beelzebub. And by, I should have looked that word up. I forgot to look that word up. That was one thing I forgot this week. I said, I got to pronounce that right. God shows me grace. We are moving on. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said he has an unclean spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to this hard text, this portion of Scripture that your Son spoke to us to reveal a deep truth. I pray that there is just a holy reverence here today, but that we would see even your grace and your goodness in this passage that seems so hard and even scary to us. Would you open it up to us? Would you illuminate to us? Would you enlighten us to even a deeper meaning of this text today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So one of the binding tenets of our faith, one of the major truths, is that of forgiveness. Forgiveness is vital. I'm just going to shut this off, guys. Forgiveness is vital to our faith. If there is no forgiveness, then we cannot have a relationship with God. I mean, that forgiveness is continual, is it not? It's an everyday grace, an everyday forgiveness, an everyday leaning on the arms of our Savior to love us even though we are filthy sinners. And there's also a drive in us where we have to forgive others in order to have a relationship with them. There's no way you can truly love people, you can truly care for people, you cannot be disgusted with people or frustrated with people or 24-7 irritated with people unless you're being a person, an image bearer of God who continually forgives, amen? You really can't walk in this world um, in a loving manner, in a Christ-like manner unless we are committed to forgiveness. To be committed to the Christian faith, to follow Jesus is to be committed to forgiveness. When the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? How many times should I forgive? Jesus said 70 times seven, metaphorically letting him know that forgiveness never ends. You have to keep forgiving in order to love, and God has to continually forgive us through the work of his son daily because we sin against God, and there's freedom in knowing that our sin's forgiven. Amen? So when we come to a passage like today, it gets a little scary. Can I get an amen on that? I know I asked for seven, but I'll slow down on the amens. But you come to a passage like today, and you say, man, 
I've been taught forgiveness my whole life and the most tender-hearted person who ever has existed, Jesus, is saying, listen, all the sins will be forgiven of the children of man. But there's a sin where I'm drawing the line and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So that brings holy fear. It also can bring an unholy fear where many of us might be tortured that we've committed a sin that God cannot forgive. And so what I want you to hear today Some of you are going to be set free today because you don't have a sound theological, biblical understanding of what the unforgivable sin is and the enemy and yourself. You're torturing yourself saying, God can't forgive me and there's things in your past or your present where you're saying, I've done something where God cannot forgive me and I want to proclaim to you today that is a lie. And God's going to set you free in that truth today as we unpack this text. I was on YouTube. Has anyone heard of the blasphemy challenge? It was a blasphemy challenge. I don't know if it's the last few years, but um, a secular website um, encouraged people to start a movement where people would get on YouTube, would make a video where they would deny the Holy Spirit. So some of them were 20 seconds, some were three minutes, and they were directly coming to this text and saying, we're not scared of the unforgivable sin we deny the Holy Spirit. So you had some of them very short to say, listen, here I am for the blasphemy challenge. I deny the Holy Spirit. It was 20 seconds. Other people would expound more. They'd go in and say, listen, I can't ration, I can't bring it, I can't um, come to grips with that there's a God who makes a heaven and a hell. And they get into different stories about Abraham and Isaac. Why would God call Abraham um, to sacrifice his son? So all these questions. And to be honest, when you get under the layers They're talking about justice, and they're blaspheming a God who is a God of justice, and even them standing on right and wrong, they're talking about a higher moral being. So it all is very contradictory when you break it down, but they get into it and say, I deny the Holy Spirit because I don't like what is said about God here, or I don't like the story in the Bible about God, and at the very end they say, let's make it official, blasphemy challenge, I deny the Holy Spirit. Of course that's sinful. And I wouldn't encourage you guys, anyone, of course, I'm a pastor. That's not a good practice. But what was ironic about the whole thing is none of them blasphemed the Holy Spirit from what I watching those videos. Their definition was absolutely crooked with what blasphemy the Holy Spirit was. Like if they came to repentance, if they were moved by the Spirit of God, if they came before God said, forgive me and love me, I want to walk with you, they would have been fully uh, forgiven and accepted. When they thought they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they weren't even according to the Scriptures and what Jesus revealed about what blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens with a lot of people is we get brought to and fro because we're not sound theologically and understand what Jesus said in the context of what Jesus said because when we do understand it, you're solid. You're mentally sound. Fear cannot rule you. The spirit of fear has no place. And now you can walk in a sound mind. What does God say? I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And you know what sound theology does? You know what the Bible does when we truly understand its context? And Lydia, I just realized you were supposed to go before me. I just started preaching. God, the Holy Spirit wanted to be after. It will all work out. Just don't let this service end with me forgetting because you're getting up there with that mic. She's going to share about the Philippines. Pastor get up here just started preaching like he owned the place. <laughs> but sound theological preaching will free your mind and free your heart. And that's what I want to happen today, amen? I want us to know 
what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And how even to see the gospel in a text like this, even see the grace of God in a hard text like this. So let's start here. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? So understanding the Bible in this context is huge. And I want to give you two characters, uh, one character and a group of characters so you can understand exactly what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. So we need to start with Jesus and his identity as the Son of God. So some of you might be new to church. Some of you might be working through what you believe. Some of you might have been in church your whole life. But revealed in the Bible is that Jesus is the Son of God. That he's the second person of the Trinity that took on flesh. And when we read in this gospel, we're reading about God the Son taking on flesh and doing miraculous things through the power of the Spirit. And many of you have heard about Trinitarian theology or the, the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But often what is emphasized is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We hear about that all the time, right? God the Father, he loved the world so much that he sent God the Son. What often is neglected, for lack of a better word, or we don't focus on, is the relationship between God the Son and God the Spirit. So to understand the doctrine of Trinity is understand that no one in the Godhead is subordinate to the other. They are equally God, equally worthy of our praise, yet they exist as three persons, but are one in essence. And we don't have time to unpack the whole doctrine of the Trinity, but to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, to understand that God the Son and God the Spirit were walking in perfect harmony in everything that Jesus did from his healings to his miracles, to making the blind see, to making the deaf hear, to making the cripple walk, until what we have in the text today, to casting out demons, was done by God the Holy Spirit, who is equally God. He was operating in the most empowered, capital S, spirit-driven ministry that the world will ever see. His power in the Spirit was astonishing. It would blow people away to the point that they never denied he did it. But the questions that started to arise was, how is he doing these things? There had never been an exorcism. No one had ever cast out a demon until Jesus stepped on the scene. And we talked about that a few months ago. So all of a sudden, they see spirits leaving people and people are set free. And they have to give a verdict on how Jesus is operating in such mighty power. God the Son and God the Spirit, perfect harmony, one in essence, distinct in persons, destroying the works of the devil. It says that in 1 John 3, 8. For this reason, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. There is an unseen realm. There is a place where there are Satan exists, demons exist, where they work against the plans of God and against the people of God and against humanity. And when Jesus came, he pushed back in that with the power of the Holy Spirit, and no one had ever seen anything like this. So that's the first character. Jesus, as the Son of God, with all those doctrines under the surface of the Trinity, of his divinity, of his incarnation, okay? Then you have the scribes step on the scene right here. And this is going to be very important for us to understand who the scribes were. The scribes, most likely, they were a sect of the Pharisees. Okay? These guys claimed to adhere to the law of God like no other. 
They would look at every punctuation, every line of the Old Testament. They were in charge of keeping the scriptures all through the years. They were the authorities on teaching people about the, what the law of God was. They were the common day highest lawyers. They would say what the law meant. You can think of them as secretaries of state. Okay? They had authority and massive pull among the people in the community. They shaped culture. So the people were looking to the scribes to tell them who Jesus was and how he was doing these miraculous things. You'll see that all through the Gospel of Mark. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you John the Baptist? Are you this one? Are you that one? How are you doing this? So the scribes' verdict, because they had that authority, because they're the ones who studied and taught the law of God, a sect of the Pharisees, their verdict on how Jesus was doing these miraculous things was monumental. And they would have been watching Jesus not one time, but over and over again. They were there when he healed someone who was blind. They were there when he cast out a demon. They were there when he was raising the dead. They were there. They saw all the evidence. They compiled the evidence. Their verdict matter, mattered. And what was the verdict that these scribes gave? He's possessed by Satan. He cast out demons by the power of Satan. Do you guys feel the magnitude of that? Even as a preacher saying those words and explaining it, it causes a reverence to come over you because even saying those words, they're so blasphemous that it's scary. This helps us understand the definition of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you have all the evidence of who Jesus is and what he has done And your final declaration is that Jesus is possessed by Satan. Do you guys hear how narrow that is? Do you hear how it can't be broadened out of his context? If someone looks at the works of Jesus, if someone looks at the power of Jesus, if someone's final declaration over and over again, after seeing Jesus' mighty works in his power, is he is doing these works by the power of Satan, the prince of evil, then you have committed a sin that is unpardonable. Jesus said that sin is so serious. The sin of the scribes is so serious that this sin will not be forgiven. And I want to read that again to be real clear here because I want light bulbs to go off. I want people to be set free right now. I want you to have a clear definition when someone asks you. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is making a final declaration that Jesus was a vehicle of Satan and operated in the power of Satan. Does everyone hear that? Let me read that again. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is making a final declaration that Jesus was a vehicle of Satan and operated the power of Satan. The magnitude of declaring the Son of God who was possessed by the Spirit of God To be possessed by the spirit of Satan is a sin that will not be forgiven among men. Does that ring clear, guys? I want you to hear that in a narrow sense, not a broader sense. That's very narrow. You had scribes who had all the law, who watched Jesus over and over again, who did not deny that Jesus was doing miraculous things, but made a declaration that was an abomination. Now, what happens in people's lives 
is we take that narrow definition that's very serious that we should know and we broaden it and we put it into our context and sometimes the enemy gets a hold in our life because we think we've committed a sin that is unforgivable. So the second thing I want to talk to you about right now is what is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit so we can shoot down the strategies of the enemy sometimes in our life. To be honest with you, there was a time I struggled and much of pastoral ministry, you're ministering to people who think they've committed a sin that is unforgivable. I struggled with thinking I blasphemed the Holy Spirit at one point in my life. If many people know um, my story, I grew up in a charismatic church. I still believe in uh, um, the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, but I think that um, the guidelines of Scripture are written by the Spirit, so if they're not in the guidelines of Scripture, they're not of the Spirit, amen? And so what happened to me is I grew up in an environment where God moved in a mighty way, absolutely. But at times, you had to have the spirit of discernment to see what was God and what wasn't God, and I was afraid to discern. I remember even when I was young, I was about seven or eight years old, we were down in Medford. Uh, I don't know if the shell is still there or they upgraded, and they were in an outdoor Christian concert. And everyone had their blankets out, and we were all on our, our blankets, and people were singing, and the lady behind me was praying in tongues. Now, I'm seven years old. I'm thinking, that's not English. That doesn't make sense to me. So I giggled, and I laughed, and I got punished for it, right? You don't laugh about that. And I'm thinking, well, it was funny. I didn't know. I don't even know. I wasn't in Corinthians studying about the gifts of the Spirit this week. I'm seven, Right? And I went to learn more about that gifting, and we've talked about that, operating in a healthy way in the body of Christ, so I got to be sound theologically. But was that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? As a seven-year-old, you get punished because someone's speaking in tongues with the gift of the Spirit, but you don't know what's going on. That can scare your little seven-year-old mind, right? What's going on? I don't know. There's no sound teachers. No one even talked about that. They just said, what's going on? I was also, would see things around me, and at times I'll be like, that does not seem like that's of God. Whether it's someone prophesying where it failed over and over again and no one's holding it to account. Like how can someone be batting 57 out of 1,000 with prophecy and people are still listening to them? I started saying to myself, like, why is no one holding to account? That doesn't seem like it's of God. But you see how scary that can be if you don't have a de definition of, I'm trying to discern about prophecy and that's of God. And if that person, and let's be honest, some of you from, um, I consider myself someone who believes in the movement of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, they call it, the big theological word is a continuous now. Someone who believes those continue, I do. But when you see people falling down and you see things going on, once again, we don't have time to unpack that, and I'm, I'm going to leave that ambiguous on, pur on purpose for you. We get some questions this week. Let's do it. You start asking yourself, what is of God? What's not of God? Do I have freedom to discern what is God and what's not here? And if I think that person not operating spirit, am I blaspheming the Holy Spirit? That's not what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. The same Spirit that is causing you to discern those things just might be the Holy Spirit. And it goes on and on to doctrines, doctrines that teach that God doesn't open salvation to everyone, right? That God doesn't, 
desire that everyone save and offer forgiveness to everyone. If I say that's not a doctrine of God, have I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Do you guys see how far I could go when you broaden it? Like, have I committed an unforgivable sin? And take whatever's in your mind and say, have I committed it? And I'm going to tell you over and over again, that is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is not. So I'm going to give you three things that are common when people get tortured if they've committed an unforgivable sin. First one, being angry at God. Some of us have been very sinful towards God and we've rebuked God and we've cussed at God and we've said things at God in seasons of our life that we ought not have said. And it was very sinful. But let me set you free today. You have not committed a sin that is unforgivable. You have a loving and benevolent God who cares for you and sent his son to die for you. You are forgiven, amen? You are forgiven. Don't let the enemy get a stronghold in your mind. Yes, you sinned. But it's not too far for the cross to reach to that sin and wipe that sin out. Does that make sense, guys? Being angry at God and saying things we are not is sinful, but it's not unforgivable, and the blood of Jesus washes you clean. I need you to hear that today. Secondly, just building off a little about what we talked about with discernment. If you looked at a situation and you've discerned the situation is not of God, when it's under the banner of being of God, you have not committed a sin that is unforgivable. God has called you to discern what is of the Spirit of God and what is not of the Spirit of God. It is all throughout the Scriptures for you to discern what is God and what is not God. Don't be afraid to be discerning. And if you've been tortured because you thought that you labeled something wrongly that was God, today be set free and live in the forgiveness of the gospel. Amen? And thirdly, this is very important. Very important. You don't commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by accident. A bunch of people are like, what? what? Oh, oh, shoot. I'm damned. Can you say damned from the pulpit? I don't know. You don't commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by accident. You weren't casually talking to a friend like, man, I'm not sure. Oh, shoot. Just got taken out of the kingdom of God. God doesn't love me anymore. You know how many people are tortured because of something they said or something they were trying to discern or they think they can blaspheme God, the Holy Spirit, by accident? That doesn't happen. You don't blaspheme God, the Holy Spirit, by accident. These scribes habitually, over and over again, denied Jesus and said he did his works by saying, this wasn't even a one-time thing. Over and over again, they saw Jesus do his work and said, that's of Satan. Over and over again, they rejected the work of the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, they committed that sin. Over and over again, you don't commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by accident. That holds some of us, some of us hostage. And I pray today that you're set free, that you're a child of God. It's an important thing to understand of God that He's not petty. Is our God petty? If He was petty, He could not love any of us. Petty people don't love. That's from Proverbs. I just threw it in there. It's like a fortune cookie t-shirt. 
Petty people don't love because you can never please petty people. We think God is petty like an abusive stepfather where we can never do what's right. We think God is petty like an overbearing parent that we can never please. We think God is petty, therefore we never understand that God is loving and benevolent and gracious. And the cross declares that, that he's for us. And he wants to forgive us over and over again. Do we have a God that doesn't want to forgive us? The cross bears that he wants to forgive. He wants to wash clean. He wants to set free. He's not trying to say, I got you, I got you, I got you. I knew you fall. I knew that happened. I set you up. There you go. And then punish you. That's not our God, amen? Our God does everything within his loving heart to set us free, to forgive us, to let us know that we're forgiven. To help us walk with a clean conscience where there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no torture of mind. He keeps crying out, you're free, your love, my grace is sufficient, even in your weakness. I'll tell a little lighthearted story, because this is heavy today. For this third point, how do we see the gospel in this passage? Passage. When I was younger, we would go on trips to Florida. And Nikki, you can call me. I couldn't remember the name of this place. I might have got it wrong. I might have got it right. I'll get the most important details right. I'll tell you that much. I think this place was called Wiki Wachi. Has anyone heard of Wiki Wachi in Florida? It's a strange place where mermaids swim underwater. This place is weird. I don't know why we went there. Like the mermaids would go up to take some air and come down and do a show. And even at seven or eight, I'm like, this is, this is disturbing. What are we doing here, people? This is not entertainment. This is a strange, strange place. So in Wikiwachi, they had the Weird Mermaid Show, but they also had a rope swing and a zip line where you can go over the water with all this beautiful water, and it was all tropical, and it was nice. But my day ended when the tour guide said, listen, this is a great place. It's how you stay safe. But... Watch out for the gators. If you know me, I don't have an affinity for underwater creatures because I feel like I'm in their domain. I'm in a pool. I think there's a mako shark underneath me. You understand me? I tell you over and over again, don't let your kids watch Jaws under eight years old. It will mess up their ocean life. So this dude said, just be careful of the gators. I'm saying, you want me to enjoy the day now? You just told me to enjoy the zip line, but there might be a gator underneath me. This day has ended. Mom, when are we leaving? It ruined my whole day. But in the history of Wikiwachi, no one's ever been bit by a gator. Never. No one's ever been bit by a gator. There's maybe been one or two gator sightings in its 50-year history. But you know, I didn't get to enjoy that place at all the whole day. I barely enjoyed the ocean for the past 30 years. The reason I tell you this story is because sometimes we hear passages like this where there is a sin that's unforgivable and we don't spend our life enjoying that every one of our sins are forgiven. Amen? We are fear of this one thing that is not happening to children of God who are in Christ, and we can't enjoy every day we wake up that our sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. 
Because we miss the gospel in this passage. What does Jesus say? You'll miss it if you're too afraid and if you think that God's a petty. You'll miss it. He said, all sins will be forgiven of the children of man, even all the blasphemies they utter. That's a large category, no? He didn't even start with all the sins. He said, even the blasphemies they utter, they will be forgiven. Guess what category that hits? All of our sins. Children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have not committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or you wouldn't be sitting in these pews today. People don't seek after God who have rejected him. It does not happen. How good, fantastic news it is All the scrolls, paper in the world, if we filled them up with all the sins just the people committed in here, we probably couldn't, it would overflow outside, right? Someone like, I got a little extra scroll for you, brother. In the 80s, I went crazy. All those sins burned up, washed away, taken away by the blood of Jesus. Is that good news? No more fear, no more guilt, no more shame. Now only grace, only love, and only truth. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why does it matter to believe the gospel? Because when we believe the gospel, we are justified, justified by faith through grace. It is faith that causes us to be forgiven. Faith that Jesus did what we could not do and took the punishment that was rightfully ours. Justification by faith. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Whoever believes is forgiven. And why eternal life? Because we won't get punished for our sin. You know who experiences eternal life? People who threw their sins on Jesus knowing they were weak and they were sinners and they get pardoned for the sin because Jesus became the propitiation which means the object of God the Father's wrath came on God the Son so that we could live eternal life with God. Is that fantastic news? If you don't believe that today I want to call you to believe. I want to call you to repent. I want to call you to know God. I want to call you to be satisfied deeply by God because nothing else can satisfy. You were made to know God. You were made to love God. He loves you deeply. He has forgiven you ultimately. Would you believe and be pardoned for your sins today? A testament to the reality that we have been forgiven is the fact that we believe that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in all who believe. Do you guys see that? You believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God. You believe that he died atoning for your sins. We believe that he rose again on the third day, fulfilling the gospel. We believe he's coming back again. We believe he's working in all of his people to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all work of God, the Holy Spirit. So today, live in that forgiveness, live in that steadfast love of God. Amen?